This podcast replay is brought to you by RedRecover.com. From NFL stars like Hayden Hurst to daily warriors like yourself, their wraps and pads are designed to deliver maximum benefits with each treatment anywhere you go. And welcome in for another week of our 9 a.m. Eastern, unfortunately for Kurt out there in L.A. area, 6 a.m. Pacific, Wednesday, RedRecover.com, Inside the Paint Show. I'm Ira Winderman from the South Florida Sun Sentinel. He's Kurt Heelan from Pro Basketball Talk, NBCSports.com. We have so much to get to this week, so much around the league as well as with the Heat. So I'm not really sure where I want to start. Typically, we're mostly a Heat show, but there are a lot of little things going on. And, and one thing in particular, I want to get Kurt's thoughts, because I don't want to say it's breaking news, but it's sort of interesting. Last night, the Lakers retired Pau Gasol's number at the Crypt, at Crypto dot com center does that sound right Kurt? Oh, crypto.com arena is the arena. official excuse term. me okay i don't want to get that, that nobody, wrong that I'm, nobody I'm uses <laughs> exactly or at the crypt or or it's like as kurt likes to say every now and then at staples center and what was really interesting among the people there to honor uh, power or at least be at his side during that ceremony was jimmy butler jimmy butler and what i find interesting is this the miami heat are in desperate straits of their own doing have a huge two-game home set against the Cleveland Cavaliers that starts tonight, 7.30 p.m. at Miami Date Arena. No sponsor yet. Continues on Friday. Heard, number one, how surprised were you to see Jimmy Butler out there? But more than that, because this goes to what we were talking about, Big O, in our crossover here and team control and what they can get players to do or not to do. If you were coach, general manager, or owner of the Miami Heat, are you glad to see Jimmy Butler being loyal to a teammate and showing the kind of teammate he is, or are you saying to yourself, what the hell are you doing out there flying cross-country for eight or nine total hours when you have a big game coming up on Wednesday? What was your reaction, number one, when you saw Jimmy Butler? What are your thoughts about Jimmy Goes cross-country? I literally double-checked the schedule. I'm like, they're not out west, right? They're, they're not even on this coast. What are they doing? What's he doing? I was kind of confused. I'm like, is he supposed to be in Cleveland? Like, I double-checked. I'm like, maybe I missed something, and they're just in Sacramento. But no. No, it was – I mean, it's hard to be mad at a guy, especially it's very Jimmy, to be loyal yeah. and, and fly, you know, hey, I want to be there for this. So I I get that. It's a little hard to be mad at him, but I think you kind of hit the nail on the head, which is you just had the two big wins in Atlanta. There's some momentum building. Here's an opportunity to really kind of – it's not going to be easy to get into the sixth seed, but as I'm sure we'll discuss, like seven matters, you know, and there you are halfway across the country. I, I, I If he has a bad outing, you know what everyone's going to say. Oh, I'd be a little frustrated. And, and the reason I bring this up is, again, if it's a player's day off. Now, what's interesting was that he had originally was scheduled to have practice before the game. We saw that on the whiteboard in the locker room where they announced the schedule coming up. Actually, they used a video board. We came in after the game against Atlanta. Practice was canceled. Which is not unusual, Kurt, in the NBA. No, you might have somebody schedule. The player gets injured. Guys play big minutes. It's a close game, which it was against Atlanta here in Miami on Monday. So I can understand all that. And then they cancel practice. So you sort of, hey, on your off day, you, I, anyone can do what we want and do as we please. But what I've seen more and more from the sort of hard, iron-fisted NBA coach and organization telling players, you will do this, this, and this. It's becoming more of players telling teams what they will do. For example, you're out there in L.A. You cover the Clippers as well. We've heard stories for years since they've coaxed him away from Toronto that the Clippers allow Kawhi Leonard to do anything he wants, to commute to his home, to come up late on game days, maybe to schedule practice around him. We've seen other teams do it. The Lakers certainly have done it for their players over the years. Darvin Ham obviously was brought in to a degree be a player's coach and coax these players through. Tyron Lue is really given into his players also as well. Is this just the rigor of the way it is in the NBA? Should we not be surprised? Should we not be annoyed about how much of a player's league this is? Or, Kurt, since you do write for Pro Basketball Talk and might have a seething and searing take if they <laughs> lose tonight, should there be a certain expectation from players that the business at hand, uh, Pat Riley likes to use the phrase, you've got to keep the main thing the main thing. Yeah. Is the main thing the main thing anymore for NBA players? I think that that's the issue, right? It's not that it's not that uh, Jimmy Butler alone is just flying out to be a good teammate. It's 
it's the timing. It's this was this didn't happen. You know, this happened an important stretch in March, not a weird off night in January where the next game is against somebody. You know, it's Orlando or somebody you're not really worried about. I, there's. I think that for a lot of organizations, this is now the price of having the the superstars with true leverage that you can only hey, look, man. Tyler Hero's not got the leverage to do this. <laughs> the other guys okay. would get in a lot more trouble, right? Like Jimmy Butler can do this. Kawhi Leonard can do what he wants. Kevin Durant has used this leverage. Lord knows, you know, Kyrie Irving has used this leverage. Good point. And there's very few, I don't know, Tim Duncans. I'm just going to start trying to run through the superstars who just kind of are happy to be coached and don't really push back. You know, Curry's been generally pretty good about this. Like, um, although, although to be honest, and just to take some of the veneer off a little, Steph Curry's also a guy when his team goes on the road, often will book a private home or a private hotel yes. for himself, not stay with the team. The reasoning there, and Jimmy does this sometimes also, is as you know, Kurt, you've been on the road yeah. w- with autograph hounds and sort of people getting in the way there. Players feel they can get a better night's sleep than everyone knowing, hey, I'm going to wait in the lobby for the players. So there is yeah. some of that also. I think it just comes down to this, and I've always said this. A lot of people ask me, uh, certain players were out on the town the night before a game. Certain, someone was seen at 3, 4, 5, 6 in the morning out at a club. I always tell them this. If it doesn't impact a player's play, yeah. I don't give a rat's ass. If Michael yeah. Jordan, before playing the Heat in a playoff game, is going to play 36 holes of golf with Ramad Rashad and then come in and be Michael Jordan, whatever it takes. I have no yeah. issue with that either. So a lot of times I'll get, I'll get pictures from someone or they'll come up with a TMZ report. Hey, did you see so-and-so? My only thought is if it doesn't impact that player's play. Now, if Jimmy comes out tired, if Jimmy shows up on the injury report for load management or rest management or fatigue, yeah. hey, then all bets are off. Then I not only talk about Jimmy Butler being out there, God bless him, celebrating Pau Gasol, a former Chicago Bulls teammate, but I also look at management and ownership and like, hey, you guys are in charge of this also of keeping in the right yeah. place. So I think this is a story that remains to be told. Jimmy, Jimmy is Jimmy on Wednesday. Jimmy is Jimmy on Friday. Have no issue. It'll be interesting. Friday's a home game against Cleveland. Saturday's a back-to-back in Orlando. If you get a load management day there, then I think that changes the equation a little bit. And I think you do raise a little bit of yeah. more question. So that's the Jimmy Butler issue. Big O sort of gave us our topics today. I know we didn't get a, a show sheet ahead of time, so we'll veer a little. Number two is the John Moran story this week. And this is interesting also from a Miami Heat perspective for this reason. The Heat, after they go to Orlando on Saturday, their upcoming schedule, we'll get to this on the end of our RedRecover.com Inside the Paint Show, our third segment. We'll go over the Heat's upcoming schedule. But they're Cleveland tonight at home, Cleveland at home on Friday, at Orlando on Saturday home against Utah on Monday, and next Wednesday, they have a game against the Memphis Grizzlies. When the Grizzlies, and I don't even know, Kurt, matter of fact, I'm, I'm going to defer to you on this. You're, you're, you're better with Western Conference teams, and you do a lot of good writing at pro basketball, talk about this. Has this ever, the two games that he's away from the team, has it ever formally been described as a suspension? No. In fact, I was, I went uh, specifically, <laughs> I went to see Steph Curry's return on Sunday thinking, oh, that'll be a nice day. And then I'll just dip dip out before the Clippers Grizzlies game. And that isn't how the day ended up working out. I got to spend way too much time at the Grizzlies. Right. Um, (laughs) Anytime you eat two meals in the same arena, it's a long day. Um, They they are not calling it a suspension officially. And it'll be more than two games. He's away from the team. Um, I believe – this means, and, and something's not been discussed, but what's been implied is he's getting paid still. Like Seems they have not, yeah, he is not. They, if the league comes in with a suspension, that's without pay. So I think that that's part of the reason for the phrasing. Um, but it's going to be more than, I will say this, just talking to people, it's going to be more than two games. Uh, he will, he could be out for a while. I don't, it's well, impossible let, let me cut, to say let me how cut long, but he's going to be out for a bit. Let me cut the chase then because of our local Miami Heat interest and wanting to know. And obviously we saw even last night's game against the Lakers. They were a different team without John Morant. (sighs) What's your prediction as someone who covers the Western Conference extensively a week from today? Will we see John Morant back on the court at Miami Dade Arena? 
I'd be surprised. I mean, never say never. Uh, this team's going to free fall a little bit, though, not only because they're alpha, you know, their best player in John Morant. And by the way, I feel bad for Heat fans. The most entertaining player in the league still. Like, on the court, like, the guy I would pay to see. Um, but they're not the same without him. And remember, they've also now lost Brandon Clark, a key role player, their backup big, yeah. for to an, uh, a torn Achilles for, some, obviously, the rest of this season and, and right. probably most of next. They're not the same team right now. They are um, a little bit, obviously, reeling. There's emotional drama in there, and they were without Dylan Brooks from a suspension, a 16-tech suspension. Right. Yeah, yeah. But out here, but there, you can see their psyches. It, it's just everything's thrown off right now, and I don't and, know and how again, fast they're going to recover that. To remind Heat fans, the Heat went to Memphis early this season. John Moran was out for that game. The Heat still found a way to lose. So you never know when the NBA – there's certainly with Jared Jackson Jr. and other players on that roster enough talent there – that they yeah. certainly show they can compete and even win in those situations. As a matter of fact, they've been very competitive over the years without John Morant. They found a way to play collectively. They're mostly an ensemble team anyway. So I wouldn't say anything's necessarily, oh, that's a W there without job, but obviously it changes the calculus there. So that's another national NBA issue that could have some heat impact. And I guess the third one that Big O mentioned in our crosstalk, and Big O will be back at the top of the hour to talk about NFL quarterback contract madness but staying with the NBA is Kendrick Perkins, who I think is more entertainer than anything else. And, and honestly, I think he's a very good entertainer, but I don't yeah. take his social treatise on the NBA as anything more than that. Kurt, I know you're involved in, in covering a, a, and the NBA award process and seeing how the whole thing plays out. This notion of a racial bias when it comes to MVPs, and Nikola Jokic over, let's say, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo in this year's race, and, and, and Joel Embiid either. Do you put anything into that notion? And when you look at MVP ballots and things like that, do you see that as something that, hey, based on what I've seen, based on the way the voting's gone, there is something there, there is a smoking gun? I think big picture historically, there you could try to argue that with some of them, but I don't think... I don't. Know, I just don't think it's applied this year. I think what you get with Jokic and Luca is more of a. It, they just. It's a different style of game, right? It's just a a a player raised in a different system, right? Um, who plays in a different style and it's very effective. Um, I yeah. I look. I'm kind of. I, I was put. I don't think it's. I'm trying to find the right way to phrase this. I don't think that there is any intentional, like nobody's out there like, oh, I'm voting for this guy because he's white. I, I just right. don't think that happens. Is there historically some skewing? No doubt. I, I, I have no doubt that decades ago there was, and even, you know, we can debate Steve Nash someday if you want. Uh, sure. we well, I remember it from down here because that was over Shaq, but Shaq had a really good season yeah. also. So, so certainly yeah. is that. I, mean, I, I just think this. That I just don't think it happens. I don't think. I don't think. Look, and I've got. I'm, I will piss off everybody here later in the year when I. I am a voter. I'm sure I will piss you off with with some of my choices, but um, it's it's certainly not something I put in my calculations. Like it's just not. Yeah, I, I just I think that might have been more toward the Larry Bird era. The league has done a very good yeah, job yeah. Of, of forming a very diverse electorate, including yes. international voters. They, they, they're really, I think, very careful about how they do that. It is a media vote, so you will get that type of impact. But honestly, that's not, it, it, it's just not something that I even thought about. You know, and again, I understand yeah. on shows, maybe even like this, certainly on ESPN shows, you're trying to create talking points. You're trying to create debate points. So I guess I could see that, but I don't want to overstate that. We will get more heat intensive in our second and third segments today. But one thing I wanted to touch on right now is it looks like Kyle Lowry will be returning to the Miami Heat sooner rather than later. Possibly as soon as this weekend. Did he go to Orlando? Nothing definitively said, but there seems to be that thought around the team. He has been out since February 2nd, the game in New York at Madison Square Garden. So we're talking about a 37-year-old player, a month removed from the NBA, who has done nothing but start in his last 600 appearances. Again, Kirk, we started this segment talking about when you're an NBA coach and an NBA team and you placate players, whether it's Jimmy Butler going to L.A. right before a huge home game 
against the Cavaliers. You've got to keep everyone happy. Kurt, there's no way that if Kyle Lowry comes back, he doesn't come back as a starter. Is there? Boy, I got to say that that's one when you said that, I'm like, man, that's a tough call for Spolstra, but don't you go to him and say, hey, man, it's been a month or, you know, what by that point, what, six weeks, whatever it is. Maybe we should just ease you back. Maybe we should bring you off the bench for a first couple of games so you get your legs under you and see if you can sell it a little bit. I don't know how how receptive Kyle would be to that right. or if you would, for ego reasons, even if he's the guy who plays fewer minutes, you've got to start him. But I, I don't know. I Especially if – especially if you – I mean – you get this. You beat to Atlanta twice. You get a split with Cleveland. You're starting to get in a little bit of a roll. Boy, that's a jolt to change the starting lineup this late. Just uh, ask the Clippers. Yeah, I know. And I know what they've gone through out there. And I know the adjustments. And all of a sudden, you're riding high, and then you're not riding so high after all. Yeah. I think to sort of conclude the segment, and we'll get on more with with. I want to get some more heat stuff intensive in our segment number two here on RedRecover.com. Inside the paint is, I think the only way you manage it is this: you talk to Kyle ahead of time. You have Kyle come out and say, I'm willing to do anything for the team, whatever is in the greater good. I'll go in that direction. And you massage it that way. So people aren't buzzing. Oh, it's a demotion. His career as starter is over. You get everyone on the same page. Now, whether they do that or not, Eric Spolster has a laser focus on the games itself. He doesn't need this kind of distraction. We don't know what Kyle will come back as. He was playing poorly before he went out. He is not having a good season. That he didn't mention him in trade rumors or trade discussions. So you have that coming into play. And let's face it, Kurt, that's what we do for a living. I know people might think it's cold, but when we get our first chance to talk to Kyle, one of the first questions has to be, hey, the Heat floated your name in trade rumors on February 9th over a month ago. What was it like to sit through that? Do you feel like you're still embraced by the team? Hey, that's just all part of it. That's what we yeah. do. That's what the fans want to know. So after our first break here in redrecover.com, Inside the Paint, we're going to talk about the Heat, where they're headed, where the rotation is. If the two victories over the Hawks were a sign of life, and I just posted a story at sunsentinel.com about whether there is, and this sounds hard to believe with a month to go in the season, any chance left for the Heat to avoid the play-in round. And Kurt will explain the play-in round to you after the break also. <laughs> That's all that and more after this break on redrecover.com, Inside the Paint. This podcast replay is brought to you by redrecover.com. From NFL stars like Hayden Hurst to daily warriors like yourself, their wraps and pads are designed to deliver maximum benefits with each treatment anywhere you go. And we're back with segment two of redrecover.com inside the paint. You see, Kurt has reading glasses just like me. He oh, might God, be yes. young. He might be younger, but you know, it happens to the best of us. I'm Ira Winderman from the South Florida Sun Sentinel here in Fort Lauderdale. He's Kurt Healin. He's actually younger than he looks. From Pro Basketball Talk and NBCSports.com. Ah, out there in the Los Angeles area. If you missed our first segment, we went around the league, spoke about Jimmy Butler being at Pal Gasol's jersey retirement last night in Los Angeles, spoke about the John Moran factor, and whether a week from today he will be available and back reinstated in the NBA for the Memphis Grizzlies. We also spoke about a few other issues, including all-star MVP voting and whether there's a racial component. You can find any of that on the Big O outlets for podcasts anywhere on the web. Also, I'm going to the chat board, so if you want to go into our YouTube chat board, we will read some of your comments. Lots to get to. want to go a little bit more heat-centric on this second segment. Kurt, I just posted a story at sunsentinel.com about the NBA play-in race and where the Heat stand. And I posted that with the Nets' victory last night over the Houston Rockets and the Knicks' loss, even with their loss to the Charlotte Hornets, kind of surprising, ended their nine-game winning yeah. streak, the Miami Heat basically have to go 12-4. and four over their final 16 games to avoid the play-in. You're talking about a schedule where you have road games in Toronto, in New York, in Washington, in Philadelphia. I'm not just sure it's going to happen. That's predicated on this. The Knicks and the Nets both winning the majority of their remaining games. In other words, the forecast I used is after last night's game, if the Knicks go 9-8, and eight, if the Nets go 9-8, and eight, the Heat would have to go 12-4, and four, uh, one, to catch the Knicks, including two wins over the Knicks, win that tiebreaker. They have to finish a, rather catch the Knicks. To finish ahead of the Nets, they have to finish a game ahead because they've all already lost the head-to-head tiebreaker. They're 0-2 in that three-game series. 
To go 12-4, and four, the Heat would have to play their best sustained basketball of the season. Yeah. They certainly had their moments against Atlanta, but again, those were both clutch games within five points in the final five minutes. You, you don't sweep a bunch of those. The, the numbers catch up with you. So I'm going to start in two different, uh, three different places here. Again, if you're in the play-in, you have to win at least one or two single games to make the playoffs or you're done. You don't get to the best of seven first round. The NBA regular season ends on April 9th, a Sunday for the Heat. It's a 1 p.m. home game against the Orlando Magic. That helps travel-wise. That Tuesday or Wednesday of that week, the number seven and number eight teams meet in a game. Right now, that's the Heat hosting Atlanta. The winner of the 7-8 game, people write this down at home. I'm not repeating it. The winner of the 7-8 game plays the number two seed in the best of seven opening round. The loser, and I'm assuming the Heat don't drop below the 7-8 game. The loser of the 7-8 game is going to wind up hosting the winner of the 9-10 game. Right now, that's Toronto hosting the Wizards. The winner of that game gets the number eight seed. The problem, and there's several there for the Miami Heat of being in this predicament, is this. You give Eric Spolstra a week to prepare for someone, he's going to give you, I don't want to say the perfect game plan. I don't know if there's such a thing. But he's going to have you as well prepared as possible. If you're then playing a Tuesday and Wednesday, and maybe starting as soon as Saturday, the playoffs begin April 15th, there's a lot less time for that. There are tired legs for a roster that right now, half of the Miami Heat's rotation is 30 years or older. If you have to go to that second game, you're talking about a possible 48-hour turnaround to the playoffs. And beyond all of that, Kurt Heelan, and we spoke about this last week on a redrecover.com inside the paint also, if you finish seven or eight, there's a good chance you're going to wind up playing the Boston Celtics and Milwaukee Bucks, and that's a much tougher matchup. I know the Sixers are on the move, yeah. but a much tougher matchup than playing the Sixers because of Doc Rivers' playoff coaching history, because of the 76ers' playoff history, they have not made in the Embiid era the conference finals since he's been there. So you're going to have a little bit of consternation there. James Harden, as playoff player, hasn't exactly been at the top of his game. You have a chance. So I want to go over these components with Kurt Heelan. I can't believe I'm talking about this, but it seems this way. Number one, Kurt Heelan. The Miami Heat going 12-4 and four the rest of the season. Uh, you're now going to prize picks or some uh, fantasy betting site. You're betting the family's house out there in SoCal so you can move on up. <laughs> Heat going 12-4 and four rest of the way. Starting with two games against the Cleveland Cavaliers here at Miami Dade Arena. Your thoughts on the possibility of that? Yeah, if I bet the house, even if I win it, um, my wife will have me living on your couch for a while. So <laughs> be, be careful with that. We, ha we um, have a guest room. The kid's out of the house. Feel free. Yeah. <laughs> um, 12 and four is a lot to ask. I actually have a similar story going up that would have gone up. Hopefully <laughs> due to some technical issues. will go up just after this show. Um, but I said the same, I feel like they're almost locked into the seven unless they get help from Brooklyn. Brooklyn has to, I don't think you're catching the Knicks. The Knicks are playing very good basketball right now. Um, you're going to need help from Brooklyn. Even if you, like you said, I think nine and eight or, or 10 and sevens, 10 and sevens, not an unreasonable number the rest of the way, but then you need a lot of help from Brooklyn, and that's still a pretty solid team. I'm not sure yeah, they're coming back that the much. Nine and but, if you, but you've got to get that seventh. you got to get that seventh. Well, seven. and we'll get to that in a second. I want to go over the Knicks and the Nets here for a second. I think we both agree 12 and 4 is hard for the Heat. So then yeah. you start coming down. You go 11 and 5, 10 and 6. You need help from the Nets or Knicks not going 8 and 7. The Knicks open a four-game Western swing in Sacramento on Thursday night. The Kings are flying high. Kings never get national TV. I, I believe – if they win that one, they'll light the beam across America. So I wouldn't want to be in the air when that game is over, if it happens. The Knicks, of course, get a break going to play the Lakers without LeBron James. That matters. They get the Clippers, who are in a little bit of lineup funk oh, right now, yeah, trying to figure who they are. You still never know about Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. And then they get the Blazers, who really are in, in, in a tank state anyway. So where you might have said, one, hey, they're trying to win. They are a one-man show. It's it's which Damian – can you contain Damian? Will you get 70-point Damian Lillard or not? Exactly. Yeah. So you have Dame Dalla in that in that regard. They do come home against the Nuggets, but they have a soft schedule. They have two against Indiana, two against Orlando. They have enough winnable games there. The Heat can get that tiebreaker by winning the two remaining games, one in New York, one in Miami. But that was a soul crusher last Friday night when Julius Randle hit a shot from his knees – 
that three-pointer at the end. So I don't know if he'll recover from that. The Nets are a little bit different. They don't have any tough road trips necessarily. They have a couple of games against Orlando. They have Detroit. They have another game against Houston. So again, to get to eight and seven is not necessarily impossible for them also. Do you think, and again, when I look at the Nets team, this is not the classic case of selling off a player for draft picks and having nothing left. They have Dorian Finney-Smith in there. They have Cameron Johnson in there. They, of course, have Mikael Bridges, who's been a breakout player. They still have Joe Harris, who's hitting three-pointers now. Nick Claxton, who's in the most improved player race right now. I would say eight and seven seems reasonable for the Brooklyn Nets, the balance of the season. Yeah, it is. I think that because they don't own their own picks the rest of the way, they all go to Houston, there was no point in them doing the – Utah Jazz. The race to the bottom. Selling yeah. everybody race to the bottom. Because the value in that is having your own pick to use. They don't have it. So they got uh, Spencer Dinwiddie's in there still, I think. I think they, they've got, game, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, they've got quality players all over that roster, good, solid role players who can, they're not an easy out. They're just, they're, they're a tough team. And by the way, you mentioned Orlando a few times. Orlando's not an easy out right now. They're no, they, they play hard. Over. They've been playing teams. really well. What lately. I try to say, soft or not soft. I, I looked at Orlando, yeah. another team that a lot of these teams play that he don't, but the Knicks and the Nets do, is the Timberwolves. Now, if Carl yeah. Anthony Towns comes down, and we've been waiting forever for that, they're a different team. They can be very good on some nights, very awful on some other nights. So I don't know necessarily whether to put them as an easy game, as a gimme for the Knicks and Nets. Those schedules look fine. Here's my other point, and I, and I raised this to you in our first segment. The Heat are now featuring five players who are 30 or older in their primary rotation. You have Kyle Lowry at 37, Jimmy Butler at 33, Kevin Love at 34, Victor Oladipo at 30, and Cody Zeller at 30. That's half, if not more than half, of your primary rotation. The Heat have four back-to-back sets left. They have one this Friday at home against Cleveland and that at Orlando. After that, they have three road-only back-to-back sets. At Chicago and Detroit is, is one of them. At Toronto, New York is another one of them. And the last week of the season at Philly and Washington. The Heat don't quit. We know that they have their mantra. They wear their jerseys. They have signs. They're the hardest working, best condition. As I like to continue that whole saying, and blah, 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 team in the NBA. Okay, I get all that. Do the Heat have to say to themselves, hey, we're going to have two must-win games possibly the week of April yeah. 9th. We have to start resting players. You're Eric Spolster. Congratulations. You're now making $8 million more than you do at Pro Basketball Talk. So good for you. Now you can get that second About $8 million more, yeah. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) So my question is, do the Heat have to be cautious also of not this hell-bent race to try to get to five or six and instead accept reality, a team that very rarely accepts reality? I I think that, like you said, because of the older roster, especially the last – you've got – you said one the last week – you really got, I mean, it depends obviously on where you are in the standings and how vital that game is and, and all that kind of stuff. But those are the games where, I mean, I think, yes, I think those are moments where you've got to pick one of the two and maybe the heat go, Hey, we can beat Detroit. So we'll sacrifice the first game and, and load it on you know, second night. Yeah. Then the, the worst team in the NBA over the last few weeks or whatever, pick your spots there and get the wins. Um, but yeah, I think, with that kind of roster, I don't think they're the only team doing it. I think teams with younger rosters are doing it too. But I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head. If you've got, if you have that must win, potentially two must win games over over that week right after the season, then you have got to get the legs rest before that moment. And I think, like you mentioned, Kurt, and I thought it was a very cogent point. Also, is you also have to assure that you are getting that number seven seed. That that yes. number seven matters. Because when you're the number seven seed, you do get home court in the first round, well, not first round, in the first round of the play-in. You win that game, you're off to play number seven. It's still a tenuous two-and-a-half game lead over the Hawks. It's really three because the Heat have the tiebreaker. But even tonight, the Heat are playing the Cleveland Cavaliers. Both teams are rested. The Hawks are home against a Washington Wizards team that literally went to the last one-tenth of a second last night (laughs) to eke out a victory in Detroit. Atlanta will want to bounce back from the two losses to the Heat. So the Heat-Hawks situation there could be down to a game and a half by the end of tonight's play. So the Heat do need to stack some wins also to be careful there. If you're going to play 7-8, 
you want to play seven, eight at home. One, you don't want to have to travel after your last game of the regular season. And two, I think the Heat, after what they did against Atlanta in these two games, would feel much more comfortable being, bringing Trey Young and those guys down here for another night on South Beach before a playoff game. So you have to be careful of that. Looking at the scenarios, Kurt Heelan, it looks like it'll be Heat Hawks right now. Yeah. If, you, if the Heat were to open against the Hawks at Miami Dade Arena, would you have the Heat favored in that play-in game? Absolutely. I just I don't I don't trust the Hawks at all. I do think Miami has, as we have discussed many times here, and I, frankly, it's something that should concern the heck out of Boston, who looks like the two seed. Miami's able to. Jimmy Butler ramps himself up. This is a sure. team and a franchise that really does understand rising to those moments in the postseason, and they sometimes they on here on Inside the Paint Recover.com show. We talk about they've got to do more in the regular season. They got to be serious about the regular season, but they are very good about picking their, you know, the moment in those playoffs. So I, yes, I would have the heat as, as favorites, Um, not huge favorites just because there's talent in Atlanta. They, Trey Young Young goes off. Exactly. It changes the equation. If the heat were to open in Atlanta, would that change your thinking? Ooh, I, I, then I'd have it as a toss up. I think uh, Trey's a little more comfortable at home, but more importantly, it's, as guys, people, everybody knows, your role players are just more comfortable. You're just more likely to get good games out of the f- guys down the roster. You're, you're the first guy off the bench than you are at home. They are uh, at home than on the road where guys tend to be – the role players tend to shrink a little on the road. Okay, so that would be the 7-8 game. The winner of that plays the number two seed, either Boston or Milwaukee, outside chance Philadelphia – which I think the Heat would embrace. The Heat would love nothing more than to see Philadelphia move to number two and get that series. That would be the 7-8. Winner advances to number two. Loser hosts the next game. Last chance for the playoffs. Right now, I'm assuming Chicago's had enough. They just seem like a team that wants to quit all season. I know that the lottery is not a priority to them because they've traded picks. I get all of that. The number 9-10 game right now is Toronto hosting Washington. How would you look at that game? Um... I mean, I've been higher on Toronto all season, but mm-hmm. they have disappointed me all season long. <laughs> um, I think the advantage – actually, I, I'd i almost call that a toss-up also just because Washington does have guys – Beal is capable of rising to the moment. He is yeah. a very good player. And they have some depth. Kuzma can play. and has Kuzma can go off and have that 30-point game. Porzingis yeah. can go off and have Porzingis, that 30-point like, They're a dangerous playoff team. And again, this is almost NCAA tournament-like because it's one and done. So yeah, I'm not yeah, saying exactly. the team has to win a series. They have to survive. So let's say the Heat – I'm just spitballing now on a redrecover.com inside the paint show because of the predicament. Let's say the Heat lose that first game, I'm assuming, to Atlanta. They come home. Heat at home against Washington. Your thoughts on that? This is for the number eight seed. Again, I would have the I would have Miami favorite because Wizards just don't really protect the paint. They don't do. I think I think the athleticism and strength of Bam Adebayo can neutralize and, and give Porzingis problems. But again, that's just a scary team in any one game because of the talent on the roster. Because of and and they're playing. We saw it on the game winner last night. Hey, everybody. Everybody in that arena, everybody west of the Mississippi, east of the Mississippi knew, hey, you know what they're going to do is give it to Bradley Beal. But he's going to isolate. Right. And he misses, and Gafford is right there. Made the, the right play. The like, Reisman, they, they, yeah. They're playing some smart basketball. They're playing hard, and they're playing hard yeah. also. Heat yeah. against Toronto, if it winds up in that game for number eight. Toronto's a team that scares the bejesus out of me for this yeah. reason. You spoke about Washington having guys. To me, Pascal Siak can go off. Fred Van Vliet can go off. There's a couple yeah. of players there that can give you a 40-burger in that situation. And they're a little bit weird to play against. Just be, I think it hurts them over a long series, but their advantage in one game is, be, um, well, it's a little different now Now that they've added Jakob Pertl. They do have a traditional center providing rim protection that they desperately right. needed. But they don't play like a traditional team because two, three, and four are all long switchable and they can add guys at center. They can be... They're a team that can just – Nick Nurse can keep rolling guys out and rolling guys out to see who's got the hot hand and then ride it. Um, so they're a dangerous team. And, and also, he's a – that would be a fun coaching matchup for one game just because, I mean, yeah. and, and is the, probably the best coach in the NBA and Nurse is creative. And it would definitely be 89-89 going into overtime. And the fact that we're <laughs> even talking about the Heat 
in the, as the play in in early March and resigned to it again. I posted a story at sunsentinel.com. I sort of broke it down. Is remarkable. After the break on redrecover.com inside the paint, I will go to the chat board. I know Alexis has been waiting and Richard's there. I want to talk about some heat roster decisions, rotation decisions. We spoke briefly about Kyle Lowry. I want to talk about Kevin Love when he comes back. Does he start? Omer Yurtsevin is now available to the Heat. Does that impact things? And we will go over the Heat's upcoming schedule, where, as we just said, every game is huge here on out. We will get to all of that. Hit us up on the chat board. We'll be back after these breaks on redrecover.com, Inside the Paint. This podcast replay is brought to you by redrecover.com. From NFL stars like Hayden Hurst to daily warriors like yourself, their wraps and pads are designed to deliver maximum benefits with each treatment anywhere you go. And we're back in our final segment of our weekly redrecover.com Inside the Paint Show, usually Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern, where it's Kurt Heelan from Pro Basketball Talk likes to say 6 a.m. Pacific. But at least you get your coffee day off. Coffee time, baby. So you get, hey, you get your day off to a good start by the seventh or eighth cup of coffee. You're up and running. So I'm Ira Winderman from the South Florida Sun Sentinel. If you missed either of our first two segments, you can go to any podcast outlet, search for The Big O Show. Once you find it and listen, smash that like button. You can join us on our YouTube chat board, which I'm actually going to go to now. Apologize for not getting to this sooner. A lot to talk about. Alexis talked about a couple of things here um, about the Heat's playoff situation, how they can't catch the Nets. Number six seed also seems out of reach for the Heat. And the Heat aren't going 12 and, t- 12 and 4, as I mentioned, which they probably will need to finish to get out of the play-in. So, Kurt, do you have the faith in the Nets that they could pull off a winning record the rest of the season? Or do you think maybe some of this is sort of the, the new player bump and just glad to be there and that they will sort of careen after losing both Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant this season? I don't think they'll careen, but I, rather than being nine and eight, with they had 17 left, nine and eight, they're, I could see eight and nine or seven and 10. Like, I don't, I don't think they're going to fall off a cliff. There's just too many solid players there and they're well coached by Jacques Vaughn, but they're also, they lack that. Obviously now they just, <laughs> they just traded them away. They lack that elite talent, right? They lack the guy you can just throw the ball to and go get a bucket. And, uh, you know, Miami has that other teams have that, um, It'll hurt them at points, but in the regular season, I still think they're just too good to fall off a cliff. They're just they're deep enough. And, and, and Richard chimes in here and he says the Heat don't have a championship roster, and if they make the playoffs, they'll be out in the first series. Time to blow this thing up and change direction. Well, you're not blowing up right now because you're past the trade deadline. You're past the buyout deadline. You have before the draft to deal with that. The Heat do have their first-round pick. But I want to clarify something here because I think it is important – uh, to talk about, Kurt, and it's this. If you lose in the play-in, you get seeded for the lottery. Now, yeah. you get seeded at the bottom of the lottery, and it also looks like the teams that don't make it from the East will have better records than the teams that don't make it from the West. The East has been trending better this season. So you're talking about probably getting the 13 or 14 seed in the lottery and a 1% chance at the number one overall pick. But, Kurt, Hill, and I want to ask you this possibility here. Is a 1% chance at Victor Wenbanyama enough, a 1 in 100 chance, to change the trajectory of your franchise for the next decade or so? Is that something that you might consider a little bit alluring? I don't think that that's a big enough percentage to be very okay. alluring is the problem. Like the, the 1 in 100, it's, it's, it would be literally winning the lottery. Uh, it would be, I mean... I, that's that's not enough. I think that if you were if the Heat were more where Washington is, that's um, a very different conversation and a conversation we would have been having earlier, right? Like, at what point do you just pivot and go? You know what? A twelve percent chance is really worth eleven percent chance is worth sure. it. I don't think it's. For, but are you with me? I don't think it's for one. I just don't think it's enough. To, I don't. But again, you know, I, I I did stop and pause and thought of this. If someone t- would have told me my chance of winning the lottery, the Florida lottery is at eleven million dollars on Wednesday, and I had a one in a hundred chance, I think those odds would be pretty good. And I think Wimbanyama is the kind of guy that you might take yeah. that chance for. Again, with the heat, it'll happen organically. They're not not going to be in the play-in, so they probably will have to lose two games a week of. April 9th after their finale that day to get into the lottery. So I think it's the longest of long shots. I can just imagine how it would change everything down here. I mean, I think every non-Miami beat writer would love the Heat to be contenders again to get additional playoff time, time in the finals down here. 
So obviously people will be looking at that versus another two weeks in Milwaukee. So I can get all that. And how I don't think people, I don't think sometimes fans realize what writers root for is places we want to go to. Location, location, location. I am, I am desperately rooting for the new Orleans, Miami, Kurt Gaines, 20 pounds finals one year. Well, and you know what? And I got all the proper food trucks to show you and take you around town there. So you'd be taken care of. We've always joked that the Heat, when they made the finals in that four-year run, God bless Dallas, but maybe not in the utter top of the list. Oklahoma City, the second year when the Heat won their first title, and then a pair of San Antonio's. And I got to tell you, folks, that Riverwalk is like three feet deep. You ain't drowning in that. You have to go out of your way right there. And it's as touristy as they can get, including you will sit at one restaurant and all of a sudden notice they're bringing the food out of the kitchen of another restaurant, and you realize that the same guy owns all the restaurants there up and down the river walk. So, hey, nice places take the family maybe for a day or so. Don't know if a week in San Antonio is what you're looking for. But now it looks like there's a chance possibly for L.A. with the Clippers. Certainly the Warriors years were very fair and very fun to the NBA. (laughs) Direction. Again, it just is to sort of sum up where we're talking about in our first two segments is the Heat are sort of in a predicament of their own making right now. And I think they're going to have to align themselves with the play in reality. But they also are going to have to align themselves for who they are and what they are. Kurt, two weeks ago, we started this discussion. The Heat got Kevin Love in the buyout market. And he was intriguing. And he's had his home with the Miami Heat. And then he's out for Monday's game against the Hawks. And the Heat moved Max Drews in the starting lineup, a three-point shooter. They have their best three-point shooting night of the season. They get a more active and more involved Caleb Martin off the bench. Kevin Love might return tonight. You know he's going to want to return from that rib injury if he can to play against the Cavaliers, the team that brought him out, the team where he won a championship. Is Kevin Love locked into the Heat starting lineup, or do you think the Heat still can use this month to experiment? He shouldn't be. I, I I think that you saw over the last couple of games what you know you, whether it's whether you start Struess or go back to Caleb Martin. Like I just think you get more more out of it. I think that I was surprised to see Love start that quickly. Um, yes. Even with what he brings in terms of of look, he's still a great rebounder um, and then a dangerous offensive rebounder. His, we saw his outlet passing. How much that can really help pick up the pace of your thing. But to me. It's just not as consistent play in and play out. They're also, by the way, I've, I've got a question for you. Are they sure. keeping, are they going to continue to stagger Jimmy and Bam? They're going to stagger, but they've learned their lesson. They've got to have one on the court at all times. And that yeah. tells you about roster flaws when you have to play that way with a 33 year old player and keep him on the court like that. There is something that goes on every night here at Miami Dade Arena, a little bit less people watching on TV on the road. When is Jimmy coming back in the fourth quarter? He sits at the top of the fourth. Spolstra prefers seven or under to bring him back. It gets very tenuous. You can hear the hush in the crowd. Everyone is watching Jimmy on the bench, waiting for him to walk to the scorer's table to see if he's going to get in. So that's become an issue because if you're that reliant on two players, it tells you really who the other players are. And this notion of a heat big three with Tyler Hero is they're simply not there yet. I do want to get back to Kevin Love from this perspective. And Kurt, you know how the NBA works. When a player hits the buyout market, they look for a few things. Sometimes it's money, but rarely. Usually they're high-paid players who are already getting their guaranteed money on their contract. Then it comes down to playoff race and having a chance to be in the playoff race and contend for a title. Anyone who went to the Miami Heat on February 20th thinking they were in prime position in the playoff race either overestimated their talents or the Miami Heat and where they're headed. Because I don't think even with that much time left in the season on February 20th, Anyone saw in the East with Boston, with Milwaukee, with Philadelphia, with Cleveland as the Heat as a championship contender. So I don't think that's the prime reason Kevin Love came here. I do think the prime reason he came here is a guarantee of playing time. Maybe not a starting berth, but a playing time. My problem with the Heat, if you do not start Kevin Love, there is only one place left for him in the rotation, and that's at backup center. Because you're going to bring Caleb Martin off the bench, probably anyway, as your backup four. Kevin is not that athletic that when teams go small that he can play for. So he's going to be replacing Cody Zeller, maybe Omar Yurtsevin. And the one thing teams do when they get a player in a buyout market and they talk to his agent and they say, look, we think we can cast 14, 16, 18, 20 minutes for Kevin Love. 
you're not getting 20 minutes as a backup to Bam Adebayo because you're not limiting Bam Adebayo to 28 minutes a game. Teams have to be careful in this situation for this reason. If you develop a reputation of getting players on the buyout market by making promises of playing time and not delivering on those promises, come the next cycle of buyout time, it's going to be harder to get those players. Kurt, don't we see that all the time? That when it either comes to free agency or a player demanding a trade to get a role or especially the buyout market, teams do come in and say, okay, we can offer X, Y, and Z. Agents talk, players talk, they all communicate. Hey, this team promised us X and gave us Y. This is a good teams have reputations as player friendly, good for, you know, good for players, bad for players or, or, or less good for players. That all factors in it actually, especially on the buyout market. Cause like you said, if you're Kevin Love, you had options. You could have gone a bunch of places and, and sure. made your choice. Philadelphia, you chose- Philadelphia was very eager. And it said they wound up going with Dwayne Dedman and making some other moves. So you knew that they wanted to augment their power rotation. Right. So, so yeah, you, you run the risk of you've, you've got to get Kevin Love minutes at least for a while um, to say you gave him, you've, you've got to be able to say we gave him a legitimate chance. It just wasn't a fit. And I don't think even in Love's case, he's expecting necessarily big playoff minutes. Okay. But for the remainder of the regular season, you've got to think, to show I mean, playoffs have become matchup dependent. Yeah. And, and to yeah, he's got himself. another contract. He wants to stay in this league. Maybe he won't get the big money contract. Maybe he can approach mid-level money or something like that. So you have that. In our second segment, actually at the end of the first, we spoke about Kyle Lowry returning, possibly as soon as this weekend. He's been out since February 2nd, last played in that game in New York against the Knicks. We both think likely that he comes back in the starting lineup unless the Heat can massage the situation. So again, you talk about rotation. Victor Oladipo rose from the dead on Monday, had a game where he had an alley-oop dunk, looked very good after looking very bad in the previous games. Who becomes the Heat's backup point guard if Kyle Lowry starts? Do you reward Gabe Vincent for the time that he gave the Heat as a starter? Or do you say, hey, Vic is a more explosive player, we go with that. So again, there's the nuance. Kyle comes back, how does it change the rotation? If I were to tell you Kyle Lowry's starting, who is my first point off the bench in your view, Kurt Heelan? In a playoff series, I probably am leaning Victor just because I think the upside is higher. It's not, as we've discussed here, we know exactly what Gabe Vincent is. Gabe is a great 82-game-a-year player. He is solid off as a point guard. And if he has to play playoff minutes, he will be solid there. But like you said, what we saw Monday, just Victor's capable. And what he was last playoffs, Victor's capable of impacting both ends of the floor at at a higher level. You know, and I'm going to disagree with you from this perspective, not disagreeing with what you're saying in your premise, but this, if you're relying on Victor Oladipo to be an explosive scorer in the playoffs, you're probably in trouble because you're relying on Bam. You're relying on Tyler. You're relying on Jimmy. I think what you need in your rotation beyond your stars in the playoffs when there are no back-to-backs is steadiness. So yes, if you're talking about upside, Gabe Vincent does not have as much of an upside as Victor Oladipo. But Kurt Heelan, he doesn't have as much of a downside. That it's more likely Vic is going to take the wrong shots, make the wrong pass. You know, he's the kind of guy, he puts his head down and he goes to the rim. And when he gets past someone, then he's like, what do I do now? Well, sometimes it's a dramatic finish. And sometimes you see the look of a guy is like, how did I get here? What happens now? I think that's something out of control to a degree you have to be very careful of in a playoff race. So I am curious about that. The third component I wanted to address is Omar Yurtseman is available for a season debut. He last played in the preseason. He underwent November ankle surgery. He's back off a two-game successful stint in the G League with the Sioux Falls Sky Force. He was on the active roster on Monday against the Hawks, but the Heat played Cody Zeller instead. The Heat are known as a team that prefers to go with veterans, that relies on proven guys. Cody doesn't have a great playoff resume. He's only made the playoffs twice both times with Charlotte, both losing to the Heat in the first round. So I can't sell you on, oh, he has that playoff experience that Omar doesn't. When you look at how this trends the last month of the season and going into the playoffs, do you think there still is time or a chance for Omar Yurtsevin to move into that backup center role? I think he's going to – I think he should get a chance, right? Like he should get at least looked at a few times. By the way, the next two games are a rough one if you're going to do that. The the biggest front line in the NBA with Mo, an active young Mo, Mobley and uh, 
and Jared Allen up Jared front. Allen, yeah. That's a that's a that's a tough welcome back to the NBA moment for a big. But I think over the next seventeen games, you've got to get him a look because, as we saw last year, I just think his upside again is so much higher than Zeller, and you're not really going to want to play Zeller a lot of minutes in the playoffs. You got to at least take a look. Maybe he's not ready. Maybe he can't be that guy right now. But I don't. Don't you just? Don't you think you've got to find him a spot to at least get some minutes and take a look? Do I think that? Yes. Do I think it'll happen? No. I know who the Heat are. Eric Spolster likes his veterans. He likes his proven quantities. Again, it's very interesting. It's sort of like what we both both just said about Gabe Vincent and Victor Oladipo. I think Omar Yurtsevin has a much higher upside. But I also think, because of his lack of experience, he also can make mistakes and take you out. I think Cody Zeller is right in the middle. He is what he is. He's never going to have a great game, but I don't think he'll ever have an awful game. He's never going to have that blow-you-out-of-your-seat moment, but I also think he's never going to have that oh-my-God turnover. And I think, again, when we're talking playoff rotation, it's going to come down to Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo and Tyler Hero. So I think everyone else, you just want him flatlined. You want him just don't do something great. We don't need it. Just please don't do something awful. I think Omar Yurtsevin just sort of got screwed, and I'll be curious to see what happens in the offseason on the free agent market. Is it based on seven weeks filling in for Bam Adebayo a year ago, or does, have, does he have to prove his worth with someone? Sometimes it's just right player in the wrong situation. So I think that's going to be curious how it plays out. Last guy in the rotation I want to talk about, I know we're coming up against the break and getting back to the big O show. Duncan Robinson finally hit three-pointers the other day, yeah. finally got a chance to look good in that rotation. Do you think there's a chance he moves ahead of Max Struess in the playoff rotation? Well, I don't know if he moves ahead of Max at the Max. I mean, unless Max continued to really struggle with his three, but like I said, Max hit Max was hitting his. If he hits his, I would rather have his size in the lineup. I trust him a little more on the other end than, than I do Duncan. But um, if Max is back to missing, I'll take, I'll take whoever's shooting. Yes. And I think that's going to happen. I think the hot hand will rule. I think Eric Spolster in the first half of games, try to get both in the game and ride the hot hand in the second. You know, he'll say it's about more than makes and misses, and you got to be more complete. This team needs three-pointers. This team is finally yeah. coming around on the three-pointers. So I think when you go in that direction, you have to rely on the guys who's making the shot at the moment. Right up against the break, let's do win or lose right now. Tonight, Miami Heat hosting the Cleveland Cavaliers. Winner, Kurt Heelan. Winner, and Jimmy Butler goes off for 45 just to, just to frustrate you. Just to prove sure. you that he can go to L.A. to have <laughs> come back. Friday night, Miami Heat hosts Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, you're going to get a split. So. Yes. Uh, you're, I, I think you're splitting those two games. And he can't afford a split at this point in the season. That happens. Second night of a back-to-back in Orlando, Saturday night. I don't like the – I'll take Orlando. They're playing actually sneaky well right now. And second night of a back-to-back, especially if they rest anybody, that's a tough one. Kurt the hater healing right there. And Monday night coming <laughs> home against the Utah Jazz. They are falling apart. They are coming apart at the same time. Utah's bad. Yeah, by choice. I think that he get that. But again, yes. two and two in the next four is not good enough if you want to get to number six. I think they're sort of resigned to where they stand. We'll see how that plays out when we join you again next Wednesday at 9 a.m. on redrecover.com inside the paint. He's Kurt Heelan. I'm Ira Winderman. Back up next, Big O Orlando Alzagari as the Big O Show rolls on.